I'm Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's about, about time for true crime. Wow, you guys, welcome to our very first true crime episode. We are this week diving into what crimes and crime areas fascinated us and got us into true crime. I can't promise we'll always have a theme for our episodes, but we thought this would be a really good way to start and to get you guys to understand the way our brains work, the same way we want to know how everybody else's does. So we are excited to get going on that. As you can probably tell from the title, I am going to be covering the case of the murder and dethroning of the Romanov family in Russia. Bum, bum, <sighs> I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, when I was a kid... The animated Anastasia movie came out, and I cannot tell you how obsessed I was with that movie. Um, I don't know exactly who made it. I, I don't think it was Disney, but it could have been DreamWorks. TBD. I'll put it in. But um, Probably one of them. Likely. It's animated. So... Anastasia, obviously, this movie is not a true depiction of what happens because they're like, oh, Rasputin is so evil. He put a little black magic curse on the Romanovs and now they're all dead. And that that ain't it. It's delightful. It, there are some songs that slap in that movie. They really <laughs> do. Um, the evil one. My parents must have been so freaked out because I was always like, in the dark of the night. Ah. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like nothing beats Encanto, I'm just saying. Oh, it's no Encanto, but Encanto is no Coco. So let's well, let's be real. All right, that's a debate for another time. Anyway, so <laughs> um, we're not gonna throw hands over this. Let's go. We're not. I would. It's no Coco. Um, <laughs> no, it's very good, and we don't talk about Bruno on this podcast, but we do talk about the Romanovs. So I'm gonna get right into it. Allie, I don't believe, knows much about this case. Not a whole lot. And I've purposely, I know that she was going to do this. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to look up a damn thing. I want to learn about it from you. And I am, I'm pumped. So let's get started. Okay. So the Romanovs, we're taking ourselves all the way back in time to the end of the 1800s, early 1900s. And I'll say, I always put the Romanovs in my head on a different timeline, like, the, when large events happen, so I think of Anne Frank, I think of World War II, I think of all of these things on separate timelines. It's hard for my brain to like compile them into one major timeline of events that's going on. But this was right before World War One. In fact, it ends right around World War One. So it's a lot more recent than we think, and actually, it doesn't come to a full close until 2007 which is pretty recent. That is baffling because what I know of Rasputin and everything was again that like black magic and you you in my mind I think that's going to be like hundreds plural of years ago that people bought into that and were would say that out loud that well he just he did this thing and so now these people are dead or they're not or whatever and you know he's healed and he's not it's just do not think that that is how like that's how recent it is Rasputin is so wild I cannot wait to tell you about him he's so good so before I get into this you guys I do just want to say while a lot of this information I've heard growing up throughout the history and fascination with Anastasia and then I learned how to use the internet and boy I learned about conspiracy theories so we'll talk a little bit about those um, but today I'm pulling most of my information from two different history.com articles on the Romanovs. And also, I'm taking a lot of information from another podcast episode on this called Yesterday's News, Historical True Crime, The Execution of the Romanovs. Can only recommend listening to it. It's actually a history podcast, but it gave me a lot of really good context for what was going on. 
So I'm going to take you all the way, all the way back to the late 1800s. And we're talking Tsar Nicholas II. So in Russia, instead of having a monarchy like a king or a queen, they have the Tsar and the Tsarina, which it's the same monarchy debate. They claim that they're divinely intervened by God. The God was like, hey, y'all ought to run a country. And they were like, you're right. And all the peasants agreed. So and the bloodlines are the same and don't want to taint that shit. And oh, my gosh. It was so much inbreeding. It, yeah. And they, they wonder why their kids come out with like three eyes. And they're like, oh, my God, we did it. This kid's perfect. He's going to rule the world. He has the third eye of God. And it's like, no, he's got hemophilia. But, but um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And also the fact that for a lot of royals all over the country. not Oh, my gosh, the country. Wow. All over the world for all of the monarchies and I suppose in Russia the czars you know it was a job it was the family business you go into this you spend your life training to go and if you're the firstborn male that's your job period you don't have any other job you have no other responsibility but also you don't get out of it you're the firstborn male you are the heir to the throne and this is exactly where we're coming in with Tsar Nicholas II he becomes the czar at 24 years old although I will say I've heard accounts from 24 to 26 but like my age he becomes a czar. He rules an entire country at 24 years old after his father, Alexander III, unexpectedly dies. This is in 1894. I can fuck up boiling water at this age. How I can't toast rule- bread. <laughs> you can't eat bread. No, I can't eat bread. <laughs> Gluten-free. <laughs> I cannot imagine running a full country right now. Oh my God, the stress of that turns my stomach. Well, and hear me out too. So this was right around World War I. It's also right around when a lot of countries are getting rid of monarchies. It's becoming democracies. People are raising up. They're saying we want a voice or at least we want part of a voice in the things that are happening here. Because another thing is, as we'll find out later, when you're a monarchy and you get dethroned or you, you know, give up your title you are also claiming that you're not a ruler from god isn't that like i mean i think that would be awful for me i wouldn't know how to do that well that shocks the you know it it shakes the foundation of what everyone before them prepared right i mean you've got all like these these family lines that have gone back how many years and you're saying "Eh, i don't want it you're just saying well then we're not we weren't chosen we you know i i don't want this. this isn't for me You can't do that. It comes across almost as dishonoring entire generations of your family. And I will say the Romanovs were a dynasty in Russia. They led for 300 uninterrupted years. That's a lot of generations. I mean, today it would be, what, six, eight generations? Back then, God knows they weren't living that long. So (laughs) it couldn't have been that many or no, that few. It had to be a lot more. But Pretty intense. So Tsar Nicholas II, he's 24. It's 1894. His father just dies. Um, I don't know. That's a lot of pressure. And his dad was an absolute monarchist. He had what they called like the iron fist. He would say, it's what I say, nothing from the peasants. You give the peasants a little, they take a lot, and there is no going there. And Tsar Nicholas... He follows suit. That's what his dad did. And he's 24, and he doesn't want to let him down. So he says... Okay, we're an absolute monarchy. We are not giving these people any choice. And this is kind of where things start to go bad. So he's 24. His dad just dies. 
he has an inauguration speech the same as anybody does when they take over. And this is such an awful start to his leadership. It is sad. It's frustrating. What happens is the peasants in Russia would come from all over the place, like truly all over the place to come see this inauguration. They couldn't see the speech or the ball or anything that was going on, but like any big event, there was supposed to be food. There's supposed to be like a free mug from the new czar and his czarina, which his czarina will also get into a little bit later. But during this, they expect 200, maybe 300,000 peasants to show up. So this is what they're prepping for. And again, this is right after Tsar Nicholas's father's death, Alexander III, and his uncle, who's Uncle Sergei, which is very Russian, but uh, <laughs> Uncle Sergei was not into it. He was like, okay, nope, we're doing exactly everything the way your dad did. You can just go fuck off with whatever your little thoughts are of keeping everybody happy, and I'll plan the coronation. So the coronation comes. We're expecting 200 to 300,000 peasants. We get 800,000 that is four, three to four times what they expected. That's a little bit more. It's like a little bit. And we didn't do a good job planning for the two to 300,000. We sure did not do a good job planning for 800,000. And in order to present this iron fist clad absolute monarch rule, the same his father did, he was listening to Uncle Sergey, who was around for all of his father's events and leadership. And during this, he really places a lot of trust in him, which I think is a big mistake. And after we have this immediate, I'm an absolute monarchist, peasants get nothing, we have this coronation. And through all of these peasants who, by the way, Russia is facing a huge like food crisis at this time. They're all starving. That happened so many times to Russia, Jesus Christ. Well, it's big and it's cold. What are you going to grow there? Like... <laughs> soy I don't think it can I don't know I don't think it can get through Siberia temperatures so they're all just hungry and they're coming and there's 800,000 of them and in order to try to get some of the food the snacks the like mugs whatever they're trampling each other so there is carnage like two to three thousand dead people outside of this Jesus. and this is Tsar Nicholas's first day so he gets the nickname bloody Nicholas as his first day of a 24-year-old czar. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, oh, I should also say, I mentioned at the beginning that I got a lot of information from a podcast and some articles. This is also actually a documentary series on Netflix called The Last Czar, and they do it with historians. They talk a lot about it. I did fact check that it was historically accurate because I was a little terrified, but um, some of my notes on this are pretty funny because... At this, I was talking about the coronation, and I put a note that was Uncle Sergey being a dick. <laughs> That's it. Would That's you all know the historian said? It's true. <laughs> that is probably in the book. So then I also said that one of the historians was sexually enticed by Rasputin, and I stand by that. Who wasn't, though? Honestly. So here's the thing about Nicholas and his Tsarina Alexandra. Alexandra is actually from Germany, which is pretty interesting, especially if we keep in mind that World War One ends this. That was not really a, oh, a point in her favor. Alexandra moves to Russia and this is a very rare monarchical marriage because it is actually for love. Her and Tsar Nicholas loved each other very much and I think it's very cute. What a tragedy. 
truly, honestly, women. Um, <laughs> so she is delightful. They like each other a lot, but their families do not want them to marry. And that's because of that connection to Queen Victoria. So they do not want Tsar Nicholas and Tsarina Alexander to get married. And this is because of that connection to Queen Victoria. And they know since all of the, like we were just talking about, all of the monarchical families are kind of connected in a way. um, Well, in a very real, obvious way. But they knew that the bloodline on Alexander's side carried hemophilia. Her dad and her brother both died from it, which is super sad. It's a genetic condition that basically has to do with bleeding. You don't clot right. So if you have a, I don't know, a cut on the outside, you're going to bleed forever and the same on the inside, which is scary because then you see bruises show up everywhere and they don't necessarily stop right away. So it's a pretty fragile condition to be diagnosed with. And today, I think it's a little bit easier to live with. But certainly back then, it was nowhere near the medical science that we have now. And getting diagnosed with hemophilia, all you really had to hope for was a miracle. Well, I feel like back then, you could stub your toe and, like, kick the bucket. Like, you'd be, you'd be <laughs> like, done for. You I could mean, kick a bucket and kick the bucket. Seriously. Because yes. they just did not have the technology. They didn't know. They didn't understand how germs spread. They didn't understand how any of that worked, let alone, like, cancer. You exactly. You know what I mean? We don't even have a handle on that. I mean, back then, geez. Yeah. No, it was it was pretty awful. And so for this reason, it was not a welcome marriage. And because of the animosity towards the German country leading up to the end, she kind of did a number with the public as well. So even though it was a delightful marriage for love, it really had some true political consequences for the both of them. So we go from that into having kids. And Nicholas and Alexandra are like loving it. They are boinking. They are making so many kids. They're trying to get a male heir because that is her only job as Tsarina is to produce a male heir. And they have four daughters. They have Olga, Tatiana, Maria, and Anastasia, which we all know is Anastasia in America. But they are the cutest little kids I've ever seen. First of all, they all have like little nicknames for each other. So Olga and Tatiana are known as the big pair and Maria and Anastasia are known as the little pair, which is really cute. Olga's the oldest. Um, She was... According to some documents of her delicate, a homebody, she did not want to leave Russia. She specifically did not want to get married to somebody outside of Russia, so she would have to leave her family. Um, And people described her as queenly. The next oldest daughter, Tatiana, was very type A. She had a cute little nickname of the governess, and she looked a lot like her mom. So all of the kids would like, if they got in trouble, they'd send her to talk to the dad because she had some pull over Nicholas that way. Oh, my God. That's so cute. Um, Maria is what I call the true middle child because she does end up being the third born out of five. And Maria is considered the prettiest. They call her eyes Maria saucers, which are like, it's just cute. Um, and she's a real people pleaser. There are oh like my. documents of her family calling her a fat little bow wow, like a oh. dog because she does what she's told. <laughs> And Anastasia, who we all know could not be more different. She is like, she's nicknamed the imp. She's a real tomboy. She hated doing schoolwork. Like there are reports of her climbing trees to get out of doing schoolwork. Oh my God. And a cousin once called her nasty to the point of being evil. (laughs) 
So certainly a far cry from the animated version that we know and love, but adorable nonetheless. And through all of this, Nicholas and Alexandra, they're trying to conceive. They're like, they're doing new things. They're trying. So they are trying to like do it in different positions. Did we mention this isn't family friendly? Yeah, it's really not at all. Please. Kids. (laughs) You're not a cool kid for listening to the... I mean, you're a cool kid for listening to the podcast, but don't listen to this part. So they're skip, like... Skip, skip, skip. They're trying to boink their way into a baby boy. They think that if you're facing Northeast, it matters. Poor little Alexandra had no idea that she has no control over the gender of a baby. I know, but, but that's what they believed back then. They it's really just, did. It's so nutty. And it's funny that they're like, if you're cold, it'll be a boy. If you're hot, it'll be a... Like, no, it's literally a chromosome. And it doesn't happen upon conception. And it doesn't come from you, lady. (sighs) Anyway, so they are doing this. They're trying very hard. And finally, she gives birth to baby Alexi, who is their very last and fifth child. He is a sweet baby angel boy. And he is so spoiled. (laughs) Of course he is. As you can imagine, as a youngest and the firstborn male. Oh, my gosh. The only male in a time where being a male was... You know, the only like you were kind of disregarded if you were the female. No, it's so true. And so the, he is born, and very quickly they find out he has hemophilia, which is just heartbreaking because they really think that they might lose the only heir. So Alex and Sar Nicholas kind of reserve themselves a little bit. I think I would too if I was them, honestly. But this did not go over well with the public. To them, they didn't want to show any sign of weakness for their next heir. They didn't want to let the public in. Even in the palace, many people didn't know that Alexei had hemophilia. It was really a need-to-know basis, and they thought nobody needed to know unless they really did. So people don't see their kids. The peasants around Russia, they don't see what's happening. They don't get this cute little family bubble picture that they have because they are so bubbled. And I mean like the weird homeschool kid bubbled and no offense to homeschoolers i don't think you all have to be weird but there is a type but you know one yes they have the (laughs) bubble and you know nobody else knew what was going on with them and they didn't know what was going out going on outside of the palace they were pretty delusional about where things were at with this peasant czar relationship they had going on this is kind of the background on who we're playing with. And we heard about the coronation and Bloody Nicholas's reputation as being just as hard and an absolute monarch as his father. And this is true, but it is just so sad that none of these things could have been seen because I think they probably would have gotten a lot more slack if I'm being honest. But Tsar Nicholas did not do a good job of this and he really listened to some interesting characters on what to do but he was 24 how much can you blame him i don't know we just got done with this coronation and now there's a war and this is what leads to bloody sunday so bloody sunday happens on january 9th and it's not going well peasants are coming in masses to seek help from czar nicholas just to talk about how bad the conditions are they have this whole idea that these are is like their little daddy and not in like the kind of way and like the (laughs) they thought he was like going to hear their cry and answer it the way a god answers a prayer so they're coming in masses to say help us like we know you're gonna help we have problems you don't know how bad our conditions are we're hungry please and there are so many of them 
But because of the hemophilia, Zarina Alexandra gets stressed out and she's like, they are going to hurt your son. Your only priority right now is to ensure you have an heir and we need to do that by leaving. So they flee. And this does not go over well, partially because when you're a czar, you run every bit of the country. It's like being the chief of security, the top of... I don't know, the Drug Enforcement Administration, the FBI, the whole jazz, and also you're running all the armies, so everybody reports to you. And when you flee, not only does it look bad, but it leads for a lot of error in interpretation on what to do, which is exactly what happened here, to the best of my understanding. They fled to keep uh, Alexei safe with his hemophilia so that he wouldn't get hurt in anything going on. And because of this, Commands get confused and the armed guards just shoot. They don't shoot at anyone. They just shoot up in the air. But it's meant to scare the peasants and so many die. And this really kind of sparks the beginning of the revolution against the czar ships. So finally, after this is going on, the peasants are pissed because now they think, well, not only does my czar not care about me, he fled, He's actively against me, shoot like having armed soldiers shoot peasants in the street. And he's still saying this is an absolute monarchy. This is a czarship. You get no say. So finally, 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 Tsar Nicholas gets the idea to enter a Duma. A Duma is what we would call a compromise, I suppose, in the monarchy versus democracy debate in that he still has the ultimate say, but the Duma is kind of like a um, red herring. They all think they have more of a say. He puts together what would essentially be like a Congress kind of style of bunches of representers for the peasants. They hear issues. They decide on things. But because they don't have as much power as him, he can overrule them at any time. And it just sort of gives them something to believe in. But they smart. They know that. They're like, okay, we're not doing anything here. So clearly the Duma is screwed. And people are getting pissed. Not only does Bloody Nicholas, who is responsible for the thousands of peasant deaths on his first day, and all of the ones for their starving peasants asking for help. He's fleeing, and Alexandra is being weird as hell. So there's some tension, to say the least. It's not good. It ain't it. Now we're entering World War I, but before we get here, I want to talk about Rasputin. I love this stinky little bitch. He is <laughs> he's such a mess. So Rasputin is... Ugh. So actually, I will say this. The animated movie Anastasia got him eerily right. Like truly, he looks so right. Rasputin is known to his local town in Russia as a weirdo. I think you have to be some kind of weird to get, you know, a reputation as one back in the 1800s in Russia. Um, he he once allegedly bragged that he didn't change his underwear for six months. Oh, my God. That's so rank. And he was known as like a little horse whisperer. And basically what happens is he gets caught from from what I understand of this story. He gets caught stealing something. And no, he borrowed a horse. He took it to go get some bread and came back and returned it. He didn't ask, but he returned it. And so there was some concern that he was stealing and they exiled him from his town. 
And when he got exiled, he runs out and says, okay, fine, I'm going to go be a monk. So, well, the equivalent of whatever a monk is in Russia at this time, you guys, I don't know. So he goes on this religious journey. He likes being alone a little too much. And honestly, Rasputin could be doing a lot. He has a lot of pull over people. People really enjoy him, honestly, a little too much. I'm not a fan of all of the young women that he liked, but he really did cultivate an image of himself as a divine and a mystic. And people really liked this. So we're getting back to the czars. We're not quite to the point where Rasputin is in the palace yet, but he's around Russia. And he's definitely making a reputation for himself at this time, right? Yes. And women love him. They're like, ooh, that sexy, dirty underwear. Let me in it. Oh, my God. Just want to sniff it. Uh, Bad. (laughs) Gross. Nasty. So this is not so good, but finally... Something happens with Alexi. He suddenly takes a turn for the worse. And they're like, fuck, we're not doing well. We need to get this kid help. We need a miracle. So who do they call? Rasputin. And Rasputin comes in. He talks about a little bit dark magic. He really does call everyone to him as like a divine leader, almost a cult leader, like truly cultivated a following. And he heals Alexi. There are really some interesting accounts of things that Rasputin did that you you just really can't explain other than Gregory motherfucking Rasputin. (laughs) Honestly, he starts to help with Alexi and his ailments and him and Alexandra become very close. Actually, the whole family is like kind of obsessed with him. It's a little wild. So Rasputin had like eight or nine siblings as a kid. And I think because of that, he did really well with the Romanovs. He knew how to play with each of the kids, right? Not in like a gross way, but like he just kind of knew how to have an influence over them. Like, you know, Olga, you're the oldest, you're the most important, like the smartest, things like that. He knew how to sort of like play off maybe some insecurities and get them to like him, basically. Absolutely. And it's so fascinating how just obsessed with them he was or i also they were it was kind of mutual rasputin actually called the czar and the czarina mama and papa which is weird as hell but i kind of think that was like a tactic to get closer to the kids to be honest with you oh, um, no anastasia calls him her only true friend that's just sad it's really sad but and she's the tomboy right yes so it's just like I don't know. It's sad. They're isolated. They're in a bubble. And this man comes and helps heal their kid. I, I think I'd probably be obsessed with him, too. Well, that's 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 just it. It's just sort of like you needed a miracle and you think one happened. Exactly. And one other thing I wanted to add that's just wild with how obsessed they were. All the kids wore lockets with his fucking photo in them. Do you know how hard it was to get a photo back then? Do you know how hard it is to get a tiny photo back then? <laughs> to put in a locket? How long did he sit for that? I don't know. I don't want to know. Just so Anastasia can be like, see, you're my only friend. I leave my underwear on for a year, too. (laughs) Just for you, Gregory. Best bros. Oh, my gosh. So he had a lot of influence over Alexandra, obviously. And everyone was like, ooh, they boinking. But they weren't, at least not to any of our knowledge. Especially because, as we know, the Alexandra and Nicholas marriage was one of love. And they actually really loved each other up until the end, which is sweet. But we're getting through this and we get to World War One, and Rasputin has this vision 
that Nicholas helps the armed troops and they win World War One, but he has to go and be on the front line with the troops. So he does, unfortunately. And when he's gone, this leaves Alexandra in charge of a country, which, by the way, she mostly was. She pretty much did all of this anyway because Nicholas didn't want to. He was the only person who could. His dad died young. He was a young ruler. He had no time to sow any wild oats, let alone to do anything as a kid because he was under constant public eye, which I'm sure also contributed to him hiding Alexi well, he was a in little a more. Too. You know, they all, you know, they didn't grow up normal by any, any you know, any definition, any stretch of the word, you know. So he goes, he wants to be this hero. He wants to save his country. He wants to do something good. And for a czar in Russia, the only two things that you needed to do was to get territory and to win wars and produce a male heir. And so well, male that, heir, that too. faulty. We're not winning any territory because we're dealing with World War One, And this goes freaking horribly. They do not win. They retreat. They are embarrassed as hell. They get one of their Navy ships like knocked down in 40 minutes at one of their wars. It's insane how badly they're doing. It's embarrassing. He's bringing dishonor to like all of the Romanovs. It's insanity. And this poor little guy, he just wants to hang out with his family and his beautiful wife and his kids. That's it. That's all he ever wanted to do. And instead he got, nope, you're an absolute monarchist and you're going to rule these peasants with an iron fist. And he said, okay, which that's on him. But the rest of it, I do feel for him. I don't think he was blameless in anything that happened, but I certainly don't think he deserves 100% of that. So Mama Romanoff, she's a German. We're in World War One. People aren't loving this. That also means that all of her babies are half German. Um, which is a strike, too, against the kids. So people are really just not having this. The revolution is starting to take up. Olga and Tatiana, the two oldest kids, they decide they want to become nurses and help out for all the soldiers in the war. So does Alexandra. And Nicholas has just, I mean, he's gone. He has AWOL'd pretty much. And all of this has built up to the moment we're all waiting for, the execution. So there are two things that happen here. Number one, Rasputin is assassinated. This is huge. People do not like him, and they think he has way too much power over the Tsarina, who has too much power over the whole country, and he is the first to go. So he's assassinated by seven aristocrats that hated him. And these are not the kind of people you're thinking of. They're educated. They are leading a movement. They're political. They have influence. And they're smart and they're going to do it the way they know how. And first, they wanted to get rid of the guy who wasn't divinely inspired, which makes sense to me, even though he calls himself divine. Um, and he does have some honestly interesting miracles if you read about it. But first, they poison him. This has no effect. They literally poison this man and he is fine. He's like, I, I've heard about that. He's yeah. like, I cool. What, what next? Else, what else you got? Yeah. yeah. So then they shoot him. They shoot him in the back and he collapses. So then he gets up after being shot in the back and there's reports that he just charged at them with like a smile on his face. Like, poison in my body, bullets in my back. Like That <laughs> is terrifying. Terrifying. So then he uh, kind of 
goes to run up some stairs. And while he's going up the stairs, they shoot him in the head and the back again. And so now he's finally unconscious. And they take his unconscious body, they tie him up, wrap him in a cloth, and dump his body in a freezing river. Well, when it washes up on shore and they do the autopsy, they find that he had freezing water in his lungs and ice under his nails, which meant he lived through a poisoning and three bullet shots and almost a drowning. And the only reason he didn't was because the river was so frozen he couldn't break through the ice on top. Oh, my God. Isn't that nuts? That is insane. Like that's that assassination on its own. Should be something. Is this guy a cat? Like, how many lives does he have? Well, it makes me think. I'm like, what did, like, who did you sell that soul to to heal a kid of hemophilia and live through poison and bullet wounds? Yeah, I mean. So, oh, fun fact about Rasputin. Just the last one for you. Decades after this death, by the way, his daughter, Rasputin's daughter, had a lot of his stuff in a storage unit. And this guy buys a storage unit. I don't know if it was like foreclosed or anything but he he comes into possession of the storage unit with all of Rasputin's stuff in it they he finds something that he believes to be the preserved 12 to 13 inch dick severed from Rasputin in this locker and it is like instantly famous it's in sex museums people are doing things and all of this happens to find out year old dick Yes, 12 to 13 inches, and it looks pretty realistic. And then you find out. And Alexandra wasn't in that shit? Come on. Hold up, hold up. You find out it's a pickled sea cucumber. Oh, fuck me. So people from all over the fucking world were like, look at Rasputin's dick. That must be how he got the ladies. You had me in the beginning there. Yes, and it looks like, I looked it up, it yeah, I thought. And then I was like, I'm so sorry, sea cucumber. Then I had to look up sea cucumbers. That was a whole journey. But I kind of believe it could be a dick. the bikini bottom? What are we talking about here? Truly. Um, that being said, I do still kind of think it's a dick a little bit. I didn't see any cucumbers that looked like that. Like, none of them that phallic. Oh, my. So, anyway. That's the end of Rasputin. Wah, wah. He was a delightful, weird, smelly, nasty thing for a moment. But um, here we are. And he could have his own ass episode. Oh, he really could. I know way too much about that man. Um, I don't mind it, though. And his pickle dick. But anyway. And his pickle dick and his six-month-old undies. A little crazy horse whisper. So we get back to Tsar Nicholas. In 1918, this is really when things start going south. Russia's revolting. The... Uh, revolutionists are killing people they're making it known so after oh gosh i want to say one of the uprising attacks one of them is sentenced to an execution and it's the first public noted sentence where he says where anybody in russia says fuck the czar wow and he dies he gets shot down so things are not going well the people are not loving their little daddy anymore and they want out they decide that it is time. On, I believe it was March 5th, 1917, Tsar Nicholas abdicates his throne. So he comes out. He says, guys, it ain't going well. So 60,000 guards turn on him. There's a mutiny against him. And he's finally like, okay, I'm done. I'm not doing it. I never wanted to do this. I've only ever done bad things. It's hurt a bunch of people. This fucking sucks. Goodbye. 
And he's like, okay, we're done. We'll call it. You guys can do whatever the fuck you want with this country. I'm over. And instead of being exiled, which was the original plan, by the way, they were just supposed to be sent away from Russia. Nobody wanted to deal with them. And they were going to go to England where uh, Alexandra had a lot of connections. It's where her grandmother was, obviously. But the England also had some political turmoil going on right now. And they were not in love with the Germans, per the World War I thing. And which uh, it's not as bad as World War II. But, you know, they still weren't popular. And ultimately, he was like, mm, never mind. I don't want you to come. So they weren't allowed to come. So the Romanovs become a burden, on the new government that's forming and the new government that's forming is very shaky which is honestly how we end up in the soviet union because right at this time this creates the perfect storm for lenin to come in and start radicalizing russia bolsheviks start showing up it's wild and it's all because there is no ruler right now the actual ruler is being kept in hiding while they're figuring out what to do with the romanovs instead of exile it's a perfect storm Truly. And Russia said, we need something. So, of course, communism sounds great. My king went from having everything and we had nothing to everybody gets equal shares. Hell yeah. Sounds great in theory. Yeah, I have not seen it done well in execution. But truly, it makes sense to me. This whole timeline and all of the ways that evil has been able to creep its way in. It doesn't seem intentional. And I think that opens up a really big conversation about not intentionally doing harm versus intentionally not doing harm and i think if you're going to lead a country you have to do the latter but that is not the discussion for today we get through the romanovs being hidden in captivity they're being held as servants basically well not really servants but they're like hostages and it's okay for a while, actually. The kids get to play outside. They move through a couple of different houses. They spend a lot of quality time together. It's almost like a little vacation. They're like, huh, I don't have to worry about Alexei being assassinated at any point. We don't have to worry about people finding out he could die. Nicholas is like sick. People are done coming for my head. We can get out of this. We can just live a normal life, which is all he wanted. Well, all, all any of them wanted, truly. But this just isn't the case. So eventually they get moved to the Ipatiev house, um, which the Bolsheviks, oh, this is so like haunting. They name it the house of special purpose. You know nothing good is happening in a house of special purpose. If the communists call it a house of special (laughs) purpose, no, it's not good. No. So truly what's going on here is that the Roman knobs are becoming more of a burden now than they are becoming an asset to the Bolsheviks and to the new government. So they're really concerned that these new government forces, whether it was Lenin and the communism that was coming for Russia or the interim government, they were all really concerned now that others were starting to rise that the Romanovs were going to become a sliding tool that they could use either as hostages as a face of a movement or anything like that because things yeah they were irrelevant at this point I mean someone else has taken over they're kind of okay with it they're bowing out 
there's no one to protect them anymore. There's, they've got no friends. Well, exactly. And before where it used to be like, you know, he's our little protector and he'll take care of us. That illusion is gone. None of them are like, wow, I really have someone looking out after my back now. It's really every man for himself. And as the Bolsheviks are rising to power, things get a lot worse. The peasant and the food restrictions are getting more intense. There's the sense of doom that kind of settles in. Well, and that's sort of the thing with communism, right? Sounds great on paper. What a great idea, right? Yeah. In practice, fucking horrible. Heinous, because... Nobody deserves to have to have the exact same kind of life to begin. And second of all, communism really only works logistically when there are selfless people, enough things to go around and a small enough population for that to work. And Russia is, of many things, big with a large population. With vastly different needs in different areas. And, you know, it's like it, it does not work. There's. There's people that work. There's people that don't. And the reason that the United States does so well, even though we're so large, is the states. We all have individual geographic locations that can help us with what we need. And Russia doesn't have this. It's one leader. And as far as the east is from the west are the different needs. And people don't know how to take this. They don't understand who to turn to. They don't know who to ask for help because they're still starving. Just because there's no czar to blame it on doesn't mean there's more food to go around. But people are vulnerable. They're hungry. They're exhausted. They're terrified. And that just leaves so much room for someone to take advantage and manipulate that highly emotional, volatile society Yes. to do terrible things with and frame it, you know, with this great intentions and you know, this is going to be fantastic for you. This guy over here sucked. Yeah. We got him out of the way. Listen to me. Enter the Bolsheviks. We're doing great. And you kind of... Bolshevik, if you don't mind me saying. You kind of (laughs) think like, of course they bought into that, right? They're exhausted. They're terrified. All these things going on. Yeah. And, you know, also the Czechoslovakia region right now, they're not doing well. There's kind of an uprising going on. They're like, hey, things still suck. Get it together. And this is really when the Romanovs become no longer a fun little annoyance that they have to figure out how to get out of Russia. They are a threat because they're afraid that the Tsar and Tsarina and the Romanov family are going to side with the Tsar. Or I'm so sorry, not the Tsar, the Czechoslovakia region and become the face of that movement. So they need to get rid of them like ASAP. Like yesterday. Yes. And unfortunately, this is where things get horrible, just really devastating, but also where the true crime comes in. And you guys, I literally just got chills. Very cute. We're doing like our little podcast and I'm so excited. <laughs> um, and I know I shouldn't be like, oh, right before murder, but mm, guys. Aww. So here's the true crime part of the whole thing. The execution of the motherfucking Romanovs, the dynasty that led Russia for 300 years. Taken down because of one man. <laughs> Poor guy. So the morning of July 17th, 1918, the Romanovs are woken up early in the morning, like butt crack of dawn early in the morning. And they're brought downstairs and they're told, hey, we finally got a place for you to go. You're out of exile. We're going to get you right where you need to be. And you can live happily ever after and not think twice. Don't need to come back. 
this is not true. You mean the communists lied? I don't, be- <laughs> I don't believe it. Abby. No way. <laughs> um, you guys, a serious note here. My cat is a communist. Um, <laughs> Your he's- cat's an asshole. <laughs> my cat is an asshole. But he's I, also I a communist. I love him so much. My cat has a very rich lore, and one of these facts about him is that he is from Russia. Um, He is gay, but he refuses to admit that he could be gay in Russia. But also, he is a communist, and he is planning to take down the democracy. So if you hear of Newton, his full name is Newton Danger, Mayerson. But um, if you hear of him, I'm so sorry. It's probably over pretty soon. He's rough. (laughs) (laughs) He has sent me to the ER. So... (laughs) um, The Romanovs, these poor people, they're led downstairs under the guise that they are going to finally escape. They're going to get out of this hellhole of hostage situations and make it wherever the hell they were getting sent. They didn't know. So they go downstairs. They're in the basement and they're brought to this room. It's it's pretty small from what I remember, something like 10 by 20, maybe 10 by 14, like pretty small room for five people. And also there is an execution squad. So here's where it gets kind of hard to hard to swallow on. So there wasn't like a complimentary breakfast. No, at the scrambled eggs were awful. Super watery. Just rude. Just I don't want eggs if you're going to give them to me watery. Don't even bother. No continental breakfast here. So at least, you know, they did get that right. They said we go go bigger, go home. Disgraceful. So they bring them all downstairs. There is a chair for Alexandra and for Alexi, which is sweet because he's obviously a young boy. Um, at the time that this happened, the kids were in their teens, I believe. I think Alexi was the youngest around 12. Um, Olga might have just been in her 20s. But this is the kind of family we're looking at. This is an established dad, mom, kids. They are going places, you know, Olga, Tatiana, they've already become nurses to help with the war. These kids are hopeful. They have a future and they're brought down in front of a firing squad because of their parents. And there is a full firing squad. So I want to say there was somewhere between seven to 10 of these guards that were meant to do it, but none of them wanted to shoot the kids. As I'm sure you can imagine, what an awful job, A, to be an executioner in any sense. But to have to be the one charged with shooting a 13-year-old? Are you kidding? I couldn't do that. begging for their life? Yes. And here's the other thing, too, to remember is that this whole time they're hostages. These kids are playing with the guards. They form relationships. Trigger warning here from some, for some assaults. But there is some reports of sexual assault between the girls and some of the guards. But from what I hear, it's pretty minuscule. So they have a good relationship. Um, and unfortunately, this makes the whole thing go very poorly. So all of the guards first start shooting at the parents. And in the months leading up to this, obviously, there was some tension. We knew things weren't going well. And when the Romanovs found out that they had to give up their throne and leave Russia, they were concerned. I mean, naturally so, obviously. We're in an execution room right now in the story. But they had their kids sew gems and any sort of monetary fiscal currency to their underwear, which is honestly kind of hot it's like look at my bedazzled undies but like (laughs) 
they thought they could use it to barter, to like get their way out, maybe over some borders, something like that. So these kids have been wearing gem lined underwear that they have sewn. And this acts oddly as a bullet deterrent. These bullets are bouncing off of kids, but that means they're going everywhere in the room. It means the parents are dead, but the kids are only maimed. There's no actual like dead child anywhere. They're all just injured looking oh, at their dead parents. Bath, How awful. I I can't even fathom it. Sitting in a room where people are trying to shoot me close range and I just won't die. People that you probably trusted, at least to some kind of extent. Right. People that have you've been with for months that you've played with, that you've probably confided in, that I'm sure there were some intimate moments with, you know, regardless of how they occurred. Terrifying. These are people you know. And that part of this story is really what gets me. How does someone you know that you show your children to, that you have your family with, that you, you know, these guards knew them. They, while they were no longer the czar and czarina of Russia, they still had a slew of servants. They had a slew of guards. They had people that they knew and trusted and vice versa. And now seven to 10 of them or whatever are shooting them in a tiny room. So after the first round of bullets, Nicholas and Alexander are dead. They're out. KO. Bye. Rip. The kids are still alive. Pretty badly hurt. But it's a small town in Russia. And people are starting to hear gunshots. And this is where things turn from bad to worse. Because the executioners, who, by the way, are belligerently drunk. I I didn't say that, but I kind of assumed it. Because it's like, everything's going to shit in Russia. And what is there to do but drink vodka? So they're belligerently drunk shooting at these kids. And some of the neighbors hear the shots and they're told you cannot shoot them anymore. So they have to finish the job with the four kids with the ends of the bayonets. Oh yeah. It's awful. But here's the thing. Russia didn't want these people killed at the time. I mean, they wanted them out of power, but they weren't like, yeah, let's shoot a full fucking family. They just wanted them out so they could live their lives and get some bread. Like that was it. So The Bolsheviks did not want it known that they did this. What they did was early in the morning then, they stacked all of their bodies up on a truck. They pulled the truck into the middle of a road. Or no, they were supposed to go, I think, into a forest. And then they were like, we're drunk, fuck that. And they literally buried the bodies in the middle of a road in Russia. Oh, that's terrible. Terrible. Unmarked graves. Nothing. Just, oh, there's the bodies. And then we enter communism in Russia. So that is the death of the Romanovs. But I want to talk a little bit about the aftermath. So this family gains this glamorous, like, doomed appeal, right? Everyone's like, wow, the Romanovs. And I think part of it, honestly, is it's it's easy to understand where Tsar and Tsarina could be assassinated and, ex- like, executed, you know, regardless of intent. Nicholas was responsible for so many deaths, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. One is too many. That is ridiculously large. And the fear of execution and retaliation, I mean, for any kind of government official or any, I mean, you kind of always have to look over your shoulder. No, you know, especially people won't necessarily like you. It's typically in, in those circumstances against the law or, you know, punishable by death to speak against them. Yeah. But if someone feels they've got a chance, they might take it. 
So they've lived their whole lives to this point, probably constantly needing to keep, you know, their friends close, you know, enemies closer, kind of always wondering about that. Yeah. Maybe they could have had a chance not having to deal with that because there wasn't the threat of them having power. Oh, I forgot to say one thing about their burial. It's really sad. Um, After they were put in the road, well, I suppose right before they were put in the road, they were stripped of their clothing and valuables. They were buried in a pig meadow. They had sulfuric acid poured on top of them and they had their faces smashed in. Oh, my God. So even if somebody came across these bodies, there would be no way to know who they are. Right. Because they did not want it connected to them. They were completely unidentifiable. And that also leads to a lot of questioning. I mean, where did they go? You know what I mean? All of Russia is like, oh, yeah, they're just leaving. Not another peep. Which I, I can't imagine the world news was nearly as quick or as you know i I don't want to say accurate because that feels wrong but detailed as it is today but i can't imagine they still expected to hear some things on what happened to the czar and the czarina from russia and things just went silent so the burials were completed at 6 a.m on july 19th 1918 it just what a shame truly to go from a family that just loved each other and wanted to hang out to Soviet Union and ruled one of the biggest powers I mean just the largest like land mass I mean that is huge a lot I can't even run my own house are you kidding I hate cleaning I don't know how you do that for like a full fucking country well he obviously didn't but the you know the, <laughs> yeah that's true like to think that they started out at this you know they were the head of it all to just be reduced to so maimed and unidentifiable in a shallow unmarked grave hidden with acid dumped on you i mean all of that stuff is just like heinous and what an interesting dynamic too right so the two major players here are the romanov family and rasputin and rasputin went from rags to riches and they went from riches to rags and it's awful to see and it's heartbreaking and i don't necessarily disagree but what is wonderful about this mystery is the conspiracy theories afterwards. Actually, a fun little fact about this, the Russian Orthodox Church did canonize the Romanov family. So they are all saints, um, which is fascinating really? to me. I wouldn't think that a Russian Orthodox Church would want to canonize bloody Nicholas, but they did. So take that as you will. Yeah, there you go. Um, Yay. <laughs> but there are a couple of conspiracy theories. So there's a lot of rumors around Russia that uh, the kids survived there. Well, not all of them. There were rumors that Anastasia and Alexei survived specifically. Him of all people? Wow. I know. Little hemophilia boy. Well, I mean, um, you'd think one injury like that would have really been I it. Mean, yeah. I can imagine he was probably pretty close to one of the first kids to die, if not the first one, just because of the bleeding. But this is a rumor that goes all throughout Russia. They say, you know, they think one of the guards helped Anastasia and Alexei escape. And what is fascinating is that there are a lot, a lot of impersonators, specifically for Anastasia. And while there were a ton, there was only really one that made a big impact, and it was Anna Anderson 
And Anna Anderson attempted to take her own life by jumping into a river, but was unsuccessful in doing so. And when she was brought to the hospital to recover, she said she was the lost princess Anastasia. And they pulled in the kids' tutors from when they were at home. I think they pulled in one of their grandmothers. And they weren't necessarily convinced, but she looked exactly like Anastasia. Like, eerily like Anastasia she even had the same mannerisms so it's not necessarily out of my mind of question that they're related in some way but they did find out with the DNA test that she definitively was not Anastasia Romanoff Anna Anderson was actually unfortunately just a very mentally ill little Polish factory worker and had I believe some sort of inaccurate amnesia after her unfortunate jump and probably saw an opportunity to maybe change the trajectory of what was going on and exactly and who didn't there were so many women that wanted this and i can't imagine all of them knew they were lying you know the whole movie anastasia is based off the fact that this girl who's in an orphanage doesn't remember her childhood and turns out to be the princess what a better way to end a shitty ass childhood than realizing it's because you're royalty right like don't get me wrong. I don't think it's really glamorous and all it's chalked up to be. But if I was a kid, hell yeah, that's what I'd be thinking. Like, yep, this is only happening because I need to be protected and I'm special. And it's not because everybody hates me and the world is awful. It's probably a hell of a lot easier to feel that way than accept the truth. Yeah. So I don't, I don't blame her. Um, and it was fascinating, truly, how far she got And after she had woken up, she had just said that a guard helped her escape, which is what everybody else believed. So it fit the narrative. She looked like her. She acted like her. Um, But yes, in 1994, they did have her DNA compared against another Romanov relative, and it was definitively not related. But um, there is another imposter that I want to talk about that is not as frequent. And to be honest with you, not even a big enough blip to talk much about but I have never heard before I did research on this that there was an Alexi imposter someone literally despite being 20 years younger than Alexi would have been claimed his entire life that he was Alexi like childhood to adulthood really which honestly to me I don't believe in reincarnation oh my gosh reincarnation personally not that I think it's impossible but that sounds more like reincarnation shit to me than an imposter. To be like, from a child, I'm Alexei Romanov. Wild. Ooh, or maybe he's haunted. <laughs> you guys, if I was a ghost, I would haunt so many people. I, I don't know. I just want to do like wild shit. Oh, my. Not, not Anyway, nothing rude. <laughs> just fun. But it's such an interesting story. And then there's one other conspiracy theory about it that I wanted to share. And I wanted to share primarily because I don't think this gets talked a lot enough about. There was an entire movement that was a conspiracy theory that the whole killing of the Romanov family was actually a Jewish ritualistic killing. And it was one of the biggest anti-Semitic propaganda movements in Russia for a long time where they were saying, you know, this intended to end the Romanov rule, but also to symbolically dethrone like the Russian Orthodox church that they're saying, you know, Judaism is key, but there is nothing to indicate that it was a ritualistic killing. I just told you an entire story of how exactly this happened and it all fits. And also there have been literal detectives and officers on the case in Russia that are like, Hmm, 
for fucking what? Like with what evidence? So if you guys hear that, um, to the best of my knowledge, it's a complete fucking foe. And I don't know. It's just rude what people will use to hate on other groups of individuals. But the other part of that conspiracy theory that was kind of interesting and reminded me a little bit of that Kesha song, Cannibal, was that they claimed after the ritualistic killing, their bodies were cremated and the Jewish people who did it put it in their tea and drank it. Um, But I think that's just people being heinous, to be honest with you. The things that people will think of. Do you... Here. Here's one. Would you rather drink cremated ashes in your tea or not change your underwear for six months? I'll take the undies for 500. Thank you. <laughs> so that was the true crime and execution of the Romanov family. You guys, you know what? I'm not going to do a bunch of historical ones. I'm not going to lie to you. History was never my strong suit. So I'm, I'm sorry if there's a lot of corrections corners for these, but... I think that it is just such an interesting story of how power and greed can really wreak havoc on people, but also such an interesting political statement on the atrocities that can happen when you're forcing people to lead who do not want to lead. And I don't know. I just think about how far Russia has come since this time. Like they've, the country itself has really grown. Granted, you know, I'm not putting a lot out there about it right now but um <laughs> i sure wouldn't be stalling to have some commentary either oh so my God. <laughs> dad joke corner over here ding ding um but no it's just so interesting and i loved this as a kid and it has just been so delightful getting to share it in a more informed and academic way with you all and i think it really does heed a lot of warnings in what we let influence our power, who we let influence our countries and our actions and our abilities. But also, you guys, like, let's just stop using bayonets. I know know we're not probably using them anymore, but like, let's just stop. How heinous. (laughs) We don't need a sword and a gun in one. We're okay with both separate. We're not short on time. (laughs) (laughs) But also, you know, the dangers of when you let one person or one very small group make the decisions for the masses, how awful that that can end up being. And I mean, that was, that was visible. I mean, they probably didn't want him marrying for love for a lot of reasons. The biggest one probably being that it's a distraction. Oh, absolutely. You know, if it's, if it's some sort of arrangement made that, you know, would provide some sort of, political advantage and so that's why here reproduce with this person make some heirs you know plural and just see what happens but your main focus can be on all of that political you know chess game that it is then that's where they want you to to marry for love or to do all of that was just probably the last thing that he should have done yeah in the eyes of you know all the people that wanted him to be a good ruler yeah and I think that Tsar Nicholas really had the shittiest hand dealt to him. He already had starving people, a father who made no friends, and then his father died and literally in the midst of grieving his dad had to take over this political turmoil in a country that led to his and everybody he loves death. Yikes. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I'm terrified of messing. Like I have clinically diagnosed anxiety. I cannot make a decision right now that could lead to everyone I know being dead at 24. How awful for him. Also, if you're going to lead a country, lead the fucking country. I'm just going to say that too. Like don't let bunches of people die. Okay. Yeah, jump in with both feet or don't. Yeah, and here's the thing. If you have to rule and your wife has to go protect your kids, that's fine. She can go away with the kids. Stay in the fucking palace and answer to your people. Damn it. Mic drop. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. So that is episode one, and it is a whopping hour. But Allie, how did you like the story of the Romanoffs? I think it's fascinating. I had listened to a lot of podcasts on Rasputin because I just think that that whimsical sort of peasant that just somehow became tight with the most powerful family in the entire country in a time where you couldn't do that you were either born into it or you weren't but you weren't rising the ranks in that time that's just how that worked and that story in and of itself is fascinating but the context of it of all the other moving parts that were going on around it and the need to keep Alexi alive and safe and the need to make decisions on a whim but make them from the front lines but your wife's over here trying to take care of this and you can't send a text right you can't do any <laughs> you can't do any of those things it's just like that's a it's a tough spot for the family no doubt but it's a tough spot for the people too also you guys i low key low key wonder if nicholas heard any of the rumors that alexandra and rasputin were boinking oh of course he did well, it's just, how can you not? There's a man in your palace making decisions with your wife. but And he supposedly is uh, well endowed. Yes. So. That 12 to 13 inch sea cucumber. Um, look it up, guys. We You guys, it's so phallic. It up. Dang. It looks legit. While she was talking about it, I had, I Googled it. And that is just, that's an unfortunate <laughs> cucumber. If I've ever seen one. Yikes. Oh. Well, we'll end on that. So, you guys, I am so glad that we had this time together. And that was time for true crime. Goodbye. Later days.